right, everyone. Welcome to Dom's Club, where I, your host, Dominique Mobley, interview groundbreaking filmmakers, television writers, authors, actors, comedians, and more. I'd like to welcome into the studio the wonderful senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter, Katie Kilkenny. Katie has also written for Pacific Standard Magazine and The Atlantic. All right, without further ado, let's welcome a senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter, Katie Kilkenny. Katie, how are you? Hi, I'm, I'm you know, doing well. How are you? I'm good. The weather's great outside. It is. Um, I really can't complain about that. So as we talked, like you're the senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter, what inspired you to become a writer? Um, I'm going to give you a really unsatisfying answer, which is that I've wanted to be a writer ever since I started reading. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that there were a lot of factors that allowed me to have that experience. Um, A lot of it was just having a mom who would take me to libraries um, and who really loved libraries. She's now a librarian, so that um, sort of panned out well. And a lot of it was like, you know, uh, going to a bookstore was a real treat as a kid and something that, you know, we could get a book before a big trip as a present um, to keep us occupied. And so books were always sort of in a vaunted place in my life. And I think that really helped, as well as parents who basically said, you know, you can be what you want to be, which is huge for so many people who want to be writers. You know, Mm -hmm. it is a tough path to to walk down, um, even as a reporter, which there, where there are more jobs. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's always been uh, a big reason why I can do what I can do. Yeah, that's incredible. Did you have any, like, favorite writers or books growing up? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, like, all the Roald Dahl books um, mm-hmm. were huge. And obviously Harry Potter, like, everyone of my generation um, – <laughs> Love the Chronicles of Narnia books, mm-hmm. um, Stephen books. I had a like summer job in high school, basically just um, shelving books in the library in the children's section, and it was sort of like rediscovering all of my favorites there. Um, and on slow days, we get to like read children's books, um, which was just an amazing experience and a summer job I recommend to everyone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it that. Being able to read so much um, was really big. Yeah, I know. I love reading. Bookstores are just the best. Libraries, bookstores. I definitely can relate to that. Were were you always interested in film and entertainment-related journalism? Um, No, not quite. I mean, I went through, I think as a lot of writers do, I went through stages where I initially wanted to be a fiction writer. And when I was in college, I was a creative writing um, fiction major. Um, But ultimately... Uh, I was always sort of joining the school newspapers and from there uh, got a few internships and fellowships in college to do journalism, mostly related to entertainment. And um, I've always loved movies. I've always loved TV. I've loved kind of analysis of that. And so because I kept on getting those opportunities, I saw that as a way to actually do writing for a living. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how it kind of came about. I didn't think I would spend uh, my career doing journalism, but it just got so progressively interesting to me, and the true stories that you can tell just got even stranger and more exciting and more fun, that for now, I think of myself totally and, and want to be, you know, a nonfiction writer. Mm-hmm. That's really incredible. I think it's interesting, too, how you're saying, like, there was kind of a journey into 
into this place. So, like, you started out, you know, fiction, nonfiction, all of that, and then it led you to this place because you got the experiences to try out the different things. That's really, really cool. Um, so, as the senior editor at The Hollywood Reporter, what does your job entail? Yeah, so it entails kind of two parts. Um, one part is that I'm basically a news editor on a news shift um, for a few days a week. So I take a shift, and during that time, I am the news editor, kind of trying to see what stories we need to cover, assigning those stories to writers, sometimes writing them myself, um, editing stories, and putting everything up on the website. Like, it all just kind of goes through me. I'm kind of like a traffic cop. Um, mm-hmm. And then the other part of my job is on other days, I'm chasing stories that I care about. I'm sometimes being assigned some things based off of my interests, but there's a lot of freedom to uh, just find stories and to write about things and report things out that interest you. And my general interests are in inequality in the industry, how people get into the industry and the sort of mm-hmm. um, barriers that are there, as well as labor and what people's experiences are like in the workplace or out on set. Um, and so I try to tell those stories, usually not with the celebrities, um, which is probably what most people think of The Hollywood Reporter as. I try to talk to the workers on the ground who are actually, mm-hmm. you know, helping this industry go along and aren't necessarily the people in the corner offices or, you know, out in the Hollywood Hills with the Grand Mansion. Yeah. That's really, that's, that's really cool. I feel like, yeah, I feel like when I think of The Hollywood Reporter, I do think of more of, like, celebrities. And but I know I've read some of your articles, and it's so awesome how you do cover, like, people like it's not everyone would think of, I guess, um, or, like, helpful things to people who maybe were trying to get into the industry. So that's really awesome. Yeah, I think luckily, um, I, I think people's uh, understanding of Hollywood is changing a little bit, um, hopefully, to understand that, you know, if you're not in Los Angeles or even just in California or New York, you might not think of all the the huge industry that the movies and TV create. You're just looking at the actual titles themselves and watching, I don't know, Tiger King on Netflix mm-hmm. when it comes up. But, um but I think with um, some movements kind of like Oscar So White, um, the way they've talked about talent pipelines and the way that they've talked about how assistants are being paid, you know, what they're being paid. And, of course, with California's homelessness crisis, hopefully um, more folks are getting to understand that the industry is full of people of all levels. Um, and, like, in America as a whole, there's a 1% that has a lot at the top, and then there's kind of a – middle class that's getting ever smaller and then there's you know the have-nots and so I try to focus on the people who are not the crazy rich folks um, and all those other people so I try to reflect in my writing the folks who are not that one percent the folks who are everybody else which is the grand majority you know yeah that makes a lot of sense so you want it like you said you find specific topics that you want to cover you keep your audience in mind when you're writing those stories how does that process work uh, yeah, it, I mean, it's like, it's just so many different things. Um, part of it is simply having people who you talk to in the industry a lot and finding out what they care about and what they think is important because mm-hmm. as much as I'm um, reading about the industry constantly, I'm not necessarily the one on the ground doing the work. And so I like to talk to um, sources who I often discuss things with. I like to talk to friends who are in the industry um, it's really great to just sort of have daily meeting, daily news meetings with my colleagues because they're all hearing things from their sources, and so we can mm-hmm. sort of bounce ideas off of each other. Um, a lot of it also is just um, tips that the Hollywood Reporter receives. We get a bunch of anonymous tips, and uh, oh, okay, some of it, 
yeah, those are really, really interesting. They don't always pan out, um, but they are a great way to sort of uh, hone your investigative skills. And, mm-hmm. and another thing is simply like you read something that's really interesting and you think, wow, um, how does that apply to Hollywood? Or how does that apply to this other part of the industry? So for instance, um, a few years ago, I was reading about people who were living in their cars in California and about these new parking lots that were opening for folks who are living in their vehicles for sort of mm-hmm. spaces that they can sleep in at night. And uh, I thought, oh, I wonder if there are entertainment people in there. And so after like months of research, I did find out that there were a lot of, you know, actors and musicians who were coming out to California and ended up living in their cars and in these places, and so I talked to a bunch of them. So things like that can really yield some interesting ideas. Yeah, that is, that's so interesting. I love how you're able to, like, I guess, find a topic and then just really dive into it. And Like you said, investigative journalism, that seems super, super fascinating. Once I've sort of researched the story, I usually do too much reporting. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> kind of a, a thing to do, and it helps me just feel secure in what I'm about to write. I always end up doing a few more interviews than probably is necessary, but I like to have that background. Um, then I write up an outline and sort of look at what's the structure of this and what's the big takeaway here. It's kind of like an academic paper almost in its own way, where mm-hmm. you do generally have an idea through it. And sometimes that idea is stated right up in the first line. Sometimes that idea is a little bit further down. And then um, from there, just kind of filling it in with the information. And for me, the editing process is really important where I'm looking through and saying, what's the flow of the story? How can this be a better storytelling experience for the reader? Um, So maybe that starting out with a really interesting, captivating opening anecdote, maybe that switching around a few sentences so that it flows better or breaking things up into multiple sentences. There are so many different ways that it can be interesting for the reader. And mm-hmm. then at the very end, you just look through and make sure, um, like, what's the point of this story? Like, why did I want to do it in the first place? And is that coming across? And is what I found out in my reporting, which is often very surprising to me, um, is that really clearly conveyed? And so that's kind of my process. And sometimes you're working on stories that need to be up in five minutes and you can't really go through all of that um, fine tuning. Uh, mm-hmm. But with most of the things that I do that I think are really important, I like to spend that time and just make sure that it's both clear and a good sort of storytelling experience. Yeah, and that's so cool. You have to kind of like, I guess somewhat think on your feet and that kind of thing. I find that super interesting. How often do you like write articles or stories? How often does that happen? Oh, man. Um, It really depends on the day. Like, sometimes some days are just really fast news days, and some days aren't. Um, Notoriously, Fridays can be really slow until the evening, and that's because companies will then, what they call a news dump, um, they will dump stories that are not necessarily a good look for the company or somebody involved with the company because they know that Friday nights, nobody's really reading the news. Um, mm-hmm. so sometimes you can be on on a Friday night, you're like, I'm getting ready for the weekend, but then uh, some crazy news comes in and you have to just immediately pivot and think, okay, we're writing this one story, and then what are the sort of uh, echoes that this particular story will have on the rest of the industry, and should we be doing follow-ups on that? Um, so it depends on the day, but I would say that usually I'm working on two to three to four to five 
maybe up to seven sort of back burner, longer reported stories at once. Oh, wow. And I'm working on uh, a few, like, quicker stories um, over the course of the day, maybe one to seven uh, per day. Um, And luckily, I think both tempos uh, suit the other. So, you know, maybe you're sort of agonizing over this long reporting story you're doing, and it's really nice to be able to just write up something quick like, oh, this, um, like today, uh, People Magazine digital team decided to unionize. That's a pretty Mm -hmm. quick write-up. You know, you do a few interviews, you're done. Um, It's nice to have that so you can just feel that sense of accomplishment in between the, like, longer-run projects. So whenever you have to do those quick interviews, are those people usually expecting to be interviewed so it's easier to get a hold of them, or is it kind of difficult to get (laughs) them to the interview? This is a great question. Um, it really does depend. Some people are used to dealing with the media, um, and so they're pretty quick and available. Um, some people might be having a really busy day, and some people might be very hesitant and not want to be interviewed. Um, what I like to do is just sort of be really upfront with what the story is going to be about and why I want to talk to them, and just try and be as transparent as possible so that they feel comfortable with me. Um, I also try to let them know that in some cases they can speak um, not just on the record, which means that their name would be used, but that in some really sensitive cases, and because I work on a lot of labor stories and, you know, it involves people's workplaces, they want to do this, that they can go um, on background, which means that they would be an anonymous source. Oh, Um, okay. So I like to give people options, um, which generally helps. And some of it's just luck. I mean, some people just sometimes are in the mood to talk and some aren't. and honestly, being uh, kind of annoying. So just keeping mm. on emailing people, being like, I really love your voice in this story. This is why I think it would be great. Or sending them letters sometimes helps. Um, just being uh, persistent is really, really helpful when you've got somebody who's hesitant. Yeah. Or it said, like, anonymous or, like, a source from. You know what I mean? Like, I always wondered what that, like, was supposed mm-hmm. to kind of imply. So that's really interesting because I never knew, really, the differences between those um, things. Yeah, generally for the anonymous sources, it'll be when, you know, reporters always want to have named sources in their stories. That makes for the strongest story. But in some cases, you're actually endangering somebody's livelihood um, or their job or, you know, multiple other things by naming them. And so in those cases, we go through a really rigorous um, anonymity process to make sure that they can't be identified. And we, of course, also do sort of legwork to make sure that We've got a bunch of sources and stories like that because when people aren't um, using their names, then they have sort of less – we always want to make sure that we have enough folks who are there backing up what they say to make sure what they say is true. Um, So, yeah, yeah, the whole process, we like to make sure that we can tell those difficult stories when they arrive. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. I think it's cool that you're not like – I guess stepping back from shying away from telling those difficult stories, but you're still able to tell them while also protecting people's, like you said, livelihood. Yeah, yeah. That's what, I mean, the great thing about The Hollywood Reporter is it is like a celebrity magazine, but, um, and that is part of the coverage, but there are also these incredible investigations that it does um, that I've admired for years before I worked there, and so it is such a luxury to be at a place where you can actually do that. So in addition to The Hollywood Reporter, you've also worked at Pacific Standard Magazine and The Atlantic. 
have you found there to be maybe a difference in the production processes while working at different publications that sometimes focus on different aspects of the entertainment industry or just different industries altogether? Totally. Um, I think as a reporter, um, you apply to where you want to work based off of what they do and what their stories are like. So, for instance, The Atlantic is all about having these sort of argument-driven conversation pieces um, that people are going to share and argue over and really be inspired by. Uh, it'll make them think, basically. And so at the time when I worked there, um, that was the sort of perfect thing for me. I thought I wanted to be a film critic. Um, I was writing a bunch of um, what we call sort of pejoratively think pieces, um, so pieces that are sort of argument-driven and, and sort of analysis-driven. Um, so the production process of that was different because it just takes longer to write those stories. You have to do a lot mm -hmm. of research. Um, you really focus on the language. Uh, and so at least for me, it took longer. Um, mm -hmm. The standard was a social justice magazine, and so... I really focused on solutions. Um, what are the problems? What are the solutions? That was great practice, um, I thought, for trying to figure out why a story matters. Um, you know, you would have a bunch of story ideas, but if it didn't ultimately boil down to, is this going to make the world a better place, then you didn't write it. Um, and so I found that to be amazing training while also working, you know, with the same standards that the Atlantic had um, for really rigorous, beautiful writing. Um, and I was also editing at both places, so that is also a really great training for figuring out um, how reported stories work um, and why language works. And then The Hollywood Reporter is much more um, sort of incremental reporting, um, really hard-hitting reporting, big investigative pieces. And that's been another process because, you, as we talked about, um, you can have these really quick stories that are put together in minutes. And then you can also have these stories that take months um, to a year, to many years, um, where you're really trying to figure something out or uncover something. And so it's all been a little bit different at each place. Um, I learned a lot by working at all of them. But I think that most reporters probably really, really consider whether that, that form of writing is right for them and what they want to get out of that. And that's certainly what I did. Mm -hmm. Do you have, would you say that entertainment has been your favorite industry to cover? For sure, um, definitely. I, I've always been in the arts and culture space, um, and I think that a lot of people can sort of write that off as being a little bit frivolous or whatever, um, but something I've learned from The Atlantic and Pacific Standard and, of course, now at The Hollywood Reporter is just how many people rely on the entertainment industry for their lives and um, how it is just a workplace for a lot of people. Um, mm -hmm. And so that, to me, has always been the really interesting part, as well as the fact that it's an industry with crazy inequality, um, just wild inequality. And so that was always, as well as, you know, um, big personalities, as I'm sure you noted when you were out <laughs> here in L.A. and doing internships and things like that, just, like, really crazy personalities that, are, that create amazing characters. Um, and so that's a really inspiring uh, beat to have, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, that's inc that's incredible. I definitely love have loved hearing about your experiences and how you're able to find basically what you really love to do, just from all the different jobs and work experiences you had. Um, so you also worked as a feature literary intern at the Gersh Agency. How would you say that that experience and the learnings from that influenced your career in journalism? 
hugely. <laughs> um, I think I, I took a job, um, that internship, uh, while doing a sort of study, quote unquote, abroad program in college um, for film in LA. And it really solidified my thoughts that I didn't actually want to work in the industry. I wanted to work around the industry. Um, mm. I had a really interesting time there. Uh, was basically covering scripts the whole time, just sort of sitting down and reading scripts, which was really fun and exciting. Um, basically just doing mini book reports on them all day. But I saw how some great scripts um, just don't ultimately come together, how some really mediocre scripts sometimes make it through and become movies. Um, you know, a few years out of that internship, it was really interesting to see where those scripts eventually went. Mm-hmm. Um, and really felt throughout that whole process how much of a team effort and corporate effort um, big Hollywood movie making is. And for me, I wanted to have so much more control over storytelling. And I was also just kind of sitting in this agency and seeing all these like outsized personalities walk around. Um, and just, it was so clear to me that this was such an interesting agency to cover and be on the outside of. Um, and so that was ultimately something that I wanted to do. I really, really liked working there, um, but it definitely made me realize as well as talking to other friends who had internships at the same time, that what I want to do is sort of be on the outside looking in. Mm-hmm. Had you, like, wanted to be an agent at the time that you were an intern there, or is that something you <laughs> thought to be interested in? No. I think, like, a lot of people, I only knew what agents were through, like, entourage and other mm-hmm. like, cultural <laughs> depictions of them. Um, and so I was, like, a shy student and never thought I could, like, yell into a phone. <laughs> um, so I just figured it wasn't for me. But um, I did do it because it was in the feature literary department, which is mm-hmm. what I love, you know, um, screen screenplays, basically. And uh, I wanted to learn how to do coverage, basically. I wanted to start from the ground up and see where the, um, the folks at the bottom start when they go, you know, the, the stereotypical uh, progression of somebody in entertainment would be that you would start in the mailroom at an agency and then you would work your way up. So I kind of wanted to look into that. And uh, as I'm sure you know, um, speaking to assistants at agencies is the best way you learn about anything in Hollywood. Speaking to any assistant really is just a goldmine. But um, Mm -hmm. if you speak to the agencies, they know everything. They talk to everyone. Um, They're just such uh, amazing repositories of information. And Often they're in entertainment, so they're funny um, mm-hmm. and just, like, really great storytellers. So that was a total joy. Yeah. Okay, so my mind's being blown because, to me, like, when you're saying that, it feels like you almost had those, like, journalistic, like, um, instincts before you even knew you really wanted to be a journalist. Like, that's crazy. That's so cool. <laughs> I definitely had an East Coast skepticism of a lot of the stuff that was going on in Southern California. Um, and I don't – yeah, I, I – definitely certainly probably had some journalistic training in there uh coming through (laughs) yeah um so what advice would you give to those aspiring to work in journalism and especially in entertainment related journalism great question now is a really tough time coming out of college um it's tough to work in any industry right now or to try to break in but it's especially a tough time in journalism um i think something that i had to learn along the way um is to really actually you know, it's a it's an industry that attracts introverts um, for a good reason. Folks who like to write, folks who 
uh, like to sort of have the medium of the interview to speak with people. But um, it is an industry that's also very social. So some of the best things that have helped me in terms of getting jobs were simply just reaching out to people and being like, I really like your work. Can we talk about how you do what you do? Mm-hmm. And speaking of people who are at publications that you really admire, learning about their career trajectory. Um, so that was really important for me, just making connections, making these human connections. Um, and then also to just, I think especially in entertainment journalism, um, once you get to a certain level or you were at a certain publication, um, these companies all employ amazing PR agencies and they have amazing PR teams. And so you just constantly have to be skeptical and don't lose that skepticism or that edge that you have that is telling you, okay, somebody might be saying this, but uh, what might be somebody on the other side saying? Um, so always making sure that you have a balanced story. You're always getting sort of comment from both sides mm-hmm. and that you are using your instincts, your sort of journalism, skepticism instincts to drive what you're doing. Um, I think it's very easy to be spun in one way or the other. And so that would be my big my big advice for anyone in entertainment. So for when you talk about the skepticism, I guess what, to what extent do you carry that skepticism? Like what, at one point are you like, okay, I think I have my story. And what point do you just keep, like do you keep the skepticism to keep, um, I guess, investigating? That's a great, that's a great, great question. Um, for me, that, uh, that kind of stuff keeps me up at night. But also uh, fact-checking really helps. So, for instance, if you're doing an investigative story and you've got a source who um, you're not quite sure what they're saying is right or real and you've talked to a bunch of people and basically what you understand is that, you know, it's probably right, but the best thing you can do is ask them for proof in terms of documentation, um, looking up court records, uh, finding anything you can find to substantiate what they said and only reporting what you can substantiate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, for me, is when I actually sort of exhale a little bit and I'm like, okay, I've, like, fact-checked this and I fact-checked this again, and I know it's right. And so I think that having that anxiety is really um, a plus, but it also uh, it also leads to, obviously, feelings of, like, is this enough? Is this done? But I think um, it, it leads you to be really responsible when it comes to your writing. Yeah, that makes complete. I completely agree with that. So you shared a lot of gems with us about, you know, having making sure you're being skeptical, um, following up on leads, you know, protecting people, but also telling the stories that need to be told. I guess what's the best thing though? Ooh, um, I think right out of college, um, the thing that really struck me when I was talking with friends was that some of them were. Uh, we're basically saying, you know, I came out of college, I was learning something new every day in college, and now I'm just kind of doing the same thing day after day. Uh, as a journalist, you are also constantly learning. You're constantly being thrown into some industry you don't know anything about um, and just mm-hmm. have to figure it out or some new story, and you have to, like, piece, basically put the pieces together again. And so that is huge. Also, um, truth truly being stranger than fiction um, is just something that I'm reminded of like once a week. Uh, Crazy stories that come to you. Sometimes you can tell them, sometimes you can't. But Mm. uh, just wild things that happen that it's just like, I could never have thought this up. Um, And that to me is just always something that 
so exciting and so energizing as I continue to write and do this work and even go through some of the harder sluggy stuff, finding those stories that are just like, what? <laughs> it's like the best thing. Wow. So when you, so you mentioned in that answer, you said there are stories that you can't tell. What do you mean when you say that? Oh, so basically that, those would be stories where I just can't substantiate it. You know, I, I have one source. Nobody else wants to talk. That story is not going to be written. You know, that's not a responsible mm-hmm. way to do journalism. Um, or you don't have the documentation. You just don't have all of the elements that you need to tell a story. Um, or, you know, sometimes there is something there and maybe you have some parts of it, but you just don't have enough. And those are the things that are really tough. Because there's always, you know, like I said earlier, I usually have like seven stories on the burner. Mm-hmm. Not all those are going to be written because mm-hmm. sometimes you can't get all the elements to come together. Some of it's a little bit of it is luck, honestly. A little mm-hmm. bit of it is, is skill and a little bit is luck. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I recently read an article that you wrote about who was hiring during these uh, quarantine times. And so that's obviously related to the labor interest that you said that you had. Are there any Mm -hmm. other topics that you're most interested in writing about right now? Absolutely. Um, So the coronavirus, like, totally changed everything. Um, We we started working just even harder than we normally do. Um, And so I think the biggest things that I'm concerned with right now are uh, all the people who are out of work at the moment and what Mm -hmm. they're going to do and what their lives are like and if they're going to get more benefit from the federal and state government and what that looks like and also from their unions and from all these various organizations. I'm worried about folks who might be returning to work a little bit too early or might still be mm-hmm. at work in violation of stay-at-home orders. I've already reported on a few places that have done that. Um, it's not something that a lot of companies are doing, but we still get tips about it. And so I look into those um, quite a bit. And just sort of outside the coronavirus, I think I'm always interested in initiatives that have a really good cause and aim that don't necessarily go right. And I'm always interested in sort of grifters. <laughs> so uh, folks who uh, are using basically the fact that so many people want to be inside Hollywood to take advantage of people. And I think that's a really great place for journalism to mm-hmm. have a good role in society is to expose some of those, some of those things. Yeah, I agree. So, you, you, Katie, you've had a truly, like, incredible career this far. You've worked at The Hollywood Reporter, The Atlantic, all these amazing places. What's been the most difficult challenge you faced in your climb to success in the entertainment and journalism industries? Um, first of all, that's very, very kind of you. But <laughs> uh, we'll, I feel like um, we'll find out if people are successful by, like, how long they stay in journalism right now because um, it, it is a tough industry right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I, in my in my few years so far, um, I would say the most the, the most difficult things are one that anxiety that we talked about um, about getting something wrong about not being able to substantiate something that is the the difficult part you know where you're kind of like up at night thinking about a story, but also um, <laughs> Twitter trolls. <laughs> it might seem like a silly thing, but. Um, Say you write a story, and it's kind of one of these third rail topics. Um, you're always going to have folks who are not happy or who don't agree or whatever, um, even when you write journalism that you really try to be objective at all times. Um, and then, of course, there are just going to be folks who just want to attack you for whatever reason. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really takes, I think, like a good support system behind the scenes to help you when you're writing a big story or a big scoop that you know will attract some negative attention from Twitter trolls, basically. Um, and it helps to have folks who are behind you um, who can basically say, don't worry about those guys. This is what mm-hmm. you did right. Um, and so that, to me, has been huge because, like so many folks, I uh, started up in journalism in the Twitter generation, basically, and mm-hmm. where journalists are mostly on Twitter. Um, and so that's been helpful because when you're, like, a 23-year-old and you have some bots yelling at you, um, <laughs> it can be a little bit difficult sometimes. <laughs> you still don't even know who you are, really. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's always good to have people telling you it's just Twitter. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use Twitter as a tool when you're writing a story? Like, do you reach out to people via Twitter, anything like that? Oh, totally, all the time. Um, Twitter, definitely, for some communities that are really on Twitter. Um, Reddit, some Reddit forums are really mm-hmm. good. I don't usually uh, reach out to people on Reddit because Reddit moderators don't generally like that. But you can find out um, some stories from Reddit, and sometimes you can find out who people are and, and you know, contact them. Um, various internet forums can be super helpful. Um, it really just depends on the community that you're writing about and if they're active online. Facebook groups, um, basically just using like all of these like internet stalking skills that all of us in this <laughs> generation have, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and using that to report. Like it, it actually is an asset. And sometimes you feel like you're being creepy, but uh, you're also kind of doing your job. So there's mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's real. And it just because become a journalist and then your internet stalking actually goes to use is helpful for someone. That's true. Precisely. Um, <laughs> so what's one thing you did not know before becoming a writer that you wish you had known? Ooh. Um, I think, uh, not to repeat what I said earlier, um, but I do think that being social in a certain way, which is, reaching out more to colleagues that you really admire, asking to get coffee. Um, I was really intimidated by people early on in my career and was just like, oh, they wouldn't want to talk to me. Uh, I'm a nobody. Um, But having those coffee conversations with folks who I've admired has led to some of the biggest opportunities of my career because so far, um, because, you know, at some point it is due to skill and hard work, but again, it's also just, connections and luck so maybe somebody has a story that they haven't been able to work on and they just want to pass it on to you and that Mm -hmm. ends up being something that you can dig into or maybe um, they're just going to keep you in mind for various you know workshops they're doing or they want to grab coffee more often and you make a lasting friendship Um, Mm -hmm. there's so many different ways that that has been so incredibly central to my career and I think this probably goes for any field Um, but remembering to be social, even if you're not necessarily the most outgoing extroverted person, is um, it has helped me a lot. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely amazing advice. Definitely, like, putting yourself out there, not being afraid to try to make those connections. That's absolutely incredible. Thank you so much, Katie. Thank you so much for being on the show with me. It's been so much fun. Uh, Katie Kilkenny, everyone. Thank you for having me. Be sure to check out all of Katie's amazing articles in The Hollywood Reporter now. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dom's Club. Follow me and the rest of Dom's Club at DominiqueMobley.com, Dom underscore Mobley on Instagram and Twitter, and Dominique Mobley, 
No Spaces Between the Dominique and Mobley on YouTube. See you next time at Dom's Club, and until then, enjoy life. 